Welcome to the GBU Podcast, presented by Alex Mitchell. A huge welcome, as always, to this episode of the GBU Podcast, and a massive shout out to our friends at What If Events and the Creative Roots, who quite simply make this podcast series possible. In this episode, I'm speaking to the former chair of the Institute of Directors, who runs an engineering company who's got huge levels of board experience, both in the charitable and the business sectors. He has got a vast array of knowledge in relation to governance and also what it takes to run an effective board and why you need those crucial conversations at board level with bringing in people that will help challenge the other board members. If you are looking to scale your business, if you are coming up to think about recruiting your first board member, this is one episode not to be missed. So I hope you enjoy it and I hope you get a lot out of it. Today I am joined by the former chair of the Institute of Directors, someone who was really supportive when I was um, leading setting up their entrepreneur community there, who has got a really interesting background and story to him as well, but has always been hugely supportive of the entrepreneur and startup space, especially from a governance and professional development angle. So to tell you a little bit more about who he is and what he does, Ian, over to you. Thank you. Yes, my name's Ian Dormer. Um, I have an engineering business, which I've now been running for 31 years. And 31 years ago, I was running that out of a front bedroom, a spare bedroom. Now we're on a, a factory, which um, has got everything from 10 ton overhead cranes and dozens of staff. So we've grown, we've been through all those growing pains. Um, but on the side, I also do other things. Um, I've chaired everything from the, uh, the Institute of Directors. I'm currently chair of a, an education charity trying to improve science teaching in primary schools. Uh, through to sitting on the board of a builder's merchants. So Ian, let's just talk a little bit firstly about um, an area which I know you're very passionate about around the governance and the board. It is always to those that haven't seen it or understand it, it looks as quite a dry topic, and, but it is absolutely crucial. I mean, the whole point of governance is to ensure that the board operates effectively to take the business forward. So for any founders, who are watching this or listening to this, what would be your sort of your, your top tip on ensuring they understand around the roles of governance and the role, their, their own personal role on the board as well? Let's take the word governance out of it because that's what makes it dry. No, no, no. Yeah. Let's think. What, do you, what, what is it all about? It's in, in, for all intents and purposes, you have it in all businesses. As soon as you start employing somebody, governance comes in. You tell them what they can do what the limits of what they can do, how they're going to go about it. And that's all really governance is. It just gets big the bigger the business goes. So, for example, I had to develop a governance structure even in my businesses was growing because I wanted to delegate roles and responsibilities to my staff. And we have, oh, you can spend up to £200 on non-capital spend, you know, without my approval. And they could just go off and do that. And they knew that they could do that without me giving them any comeback. And I knew they wouldn't be going above that and putting the business at risk. Very simple level. That's the start of governance. It just then gets bigger. And with, I mean, the, the interesting thing that I hear with founders a lot, and it's something you and I have talked about many times in the past. You've got a person that has set up a business. You would have 
seen individuals like this that come on the courses you speak on on behalf of the IOD and others. You've got a person that set up the business, incredibly passionate. The business is them. They launched it, they launched it, as you said, with your business, you know, from your, your bedroom or from your kitchen table. They are incredibly emotionally involved in it. The business, if you're lucky, then starts to grow and scale. You start to employ people, you bring people in, you then start to create a board. You then start to have to recruit your first board member who is a non-founder member. How challenging is it for that, for that founder to remove themselves from the, the passion with the business and not only bring someone in at that leadership level, but also enable them to have their role? Because you've heard a number of times, I think we've talked about it in the past, but where, where you've had a founder that brings someone, a managing director, say, in to run the business on a day-to-day, but then gets far too involved and it creates a huge conflict at that level. What, have you ever seen issues like that or, or face no, the most, like that? The, I mean, I, I was taught very, very early on. I was lucky actually very early on. I run an engineering business and I'm not an engineer. So I had to trust engineers when they're saying, this is what we do. Yes, you learn to challenge, you learn to check, you learn to make sure that they understand that what they're up to. But fundamentally, you have to let go. And it is. Any founder's biggest problem is letting go. When it's your money, it's your baby, you don't want to let go. But do you want a holiday? And, I, and I've seen some people that have basically, when they go on holiday, they're on the phone all the time. They're checking emails all the time and they don't let go. Actually, we're all human beings. We need a break. We need to be able to just turn off because if we do turn off for a week or two weeks, we come back re-energized, full of energy, and we can put that extra oomph into the business that we all need. So letting go, delegating. And that's, that really comes back to your first question. That's what corporate governance is. Now I go away on holiday. I don't get a text. I don't get a phone call. I don't get an email from the company. They just do it because we've got a structure in place that allows them to do that and away they go. Now, bringing in a non-exec, in some respects, what they're trying to do is, is to make you sit back from the board a little bit more, sit back from the operations of the business so you're not in amongst the weeds and saying, let's look at the strategy, let's look at the bigger picture. And that, again, helps you actually think more for the long term of any business. And I think that's one of the beauties about the, the, the SME market. It's the beauty about founder or family business is they do think the long term. They don't think about how can we make a quick buck this year, next year. It's, I'm going to be here for 10 years, 20 years, or in my case, over 30 years. And I've got no intention of stepping down anytime soon because I enjoy it and it's, and it's giving a long-term value. And that's something I think this country needs. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about the current situation because it, picks, it resonates with one or two of the points you've, you've mentioned already. You know, we've got COVID-19, we've got a very challenging economy moving forward as well the role of the board the role of directors is, is going to be one of those ones where almost every business is going to be having some fairly challenging conversations especially within the F&B the hospitality high street sectors etc the I mean again it's something we've talked about and I've heard you speak about it at events as well the importance of when you're creating a board or bringing people in to not just bring in like-minded individuals but to bring in people that can challenge as well and provide those, those, that different way of thinking. Is, is, is that important for boards to do? You know, I always say one of the most important, one of the first things before I join a board is how risk averse is the organization and how open is the board to innovation? 
And you get different boards have different risk appetites and that's absolutely fine. But one thing we should be able to do is sit back and be able to say, okay, we have a crisis, let's, let, let's, let's tackle this, not on a day-to-day -day basis, but for week, months and possibly years going forward. Because actually crises develop some fantastic innovations. Do you know the steam locomotive? Do you know why that was actually invented? I mean, it was the, all the technology was there, but what pushed that forward? It wasn't anything in particular apart from the fact that the, um, the coal wagons that were brought down tracks in the northeast of England, where I live, were always pulled by horses. But then all of a sudden, the Napoleonic Wars were taking all of the horses out of the country and going away. So somebody said, well, how are we going to take the coal from the coal fields to the River Tyne? So somebody said, I tell you what, I'll put, I'll make a, 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 the old, the steam locomotive, I'll make an iron horse. And that's exactly what they did. That pushed that innovation. Crisis, shortage of horses, created innovation. Now, COVID-19. Wow, we've never had this before. But this is when the real entrepreneur comes there for. They say, hang on a minute. How can I actually maximize the benefit for my business out of this crisis? How many restaurants, how many people in the hospitality industry have started a takeaway or a delivery yeah. service that they never thought of? That, you know, could actually become part of their business, not just being a sit-down restaurant. They're doubling up what they can potentially do. And I think they're the sort of innovations on a very simple level that will be happening across the business spectrum. And I, you're spot on. I've spoken to a number of founders recently, especially exactly in that area, a, an, an IOD member actually based in Edinburgh that runs a restaurant, a family business. They've never done anything in that space before. COVID hit. Luckily, he had done some internship in a delivery, a pizza delivery company in the dim and distant past and was able to implement that within two weeks. And it's something he's gonna continue going for. Also, you've got first mover advantage in the same space. So he was actually only out of action for about two and a half weeks due to it. So it was that rapid movement. But again, it comes back to those conversations. Sorry, I'm going to... No, no, it's great. And that's exactly it. Now, the, the uh, builders merchants, uh, north of England builders merchants, uh, we had started and very successfully got a, an online sales going. But of course, with builders merchants being closed, that business has absolutely skyrocketed over the last uh, three or four months. We're actually selling manhole covers to the other end of the country, you know, which is not something we've expanded our marketplace because the crisis has meant people can't go down to their local builders merchants because it's closed. We can now service I mean, them online. That, that's it's an interesting area. It's, it's something, I mean, Unilever do, always do it quite well, but when you are faced with a situation like this, it's always a very difficult one for a board to take because it's that you, you, you think I've got to batten down the hatches. I've got to save all the money I can, all of this sort of stuff. But actually this is the rainy day. This is the time where you need to spend that rainy day fund to try and open up new avenues for the business going forward. And that is, I don't know, your view on it would be fascinating, but that is where leadership is. That, that is where you make those difficult decisions. You make those challenging decisions. And, it, they're the sleepless night moments, aren't they? But you have that opportunity. If you're able to do it in a planned way and you have that, those right individuals with the right conversations around you, it can significantly help. They can be sleepless nights, but I think sometimes what we need to also do is take this as a very big learning point. The, the businesses that will survive the longest and the best out of this are the ones that have money, have cash. Cash is always king in a business. And if you've got cash, you could come out of this crisis actually not being as stressed or as, as, as debt laden as so many other businesses. 
And if you've got cash in a market like this, you can innovate, you can vary what you do, and you can grow. And as long as you've got that cash, then you're, you're, you're safe, you're comfortable. And that, that's when it frees the mind for new ideas, frees the opportunities going forward. And that, that's, 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 in fact, of all of the lessons I've ever learned in business, hoard cash, hang on to cash, keep cash for that rainy day, make sure you've got those reserves so that you can withstand shocks. Beginning of, of COVID-19, I actually calculated how many months my business could survive without any business coming in. I sat down, worked it out, absolutely down to the line, and I felt comfortable, especially when four or five weeks after the, uh, the lockdown, we started trading again at Roche Engineering. Then I knew we were going to be fine. And that, that's the most important thing. And that's when sleepless nights disappear. And again, it comes back to that planning. And I think actually your point of sitting down and working out, right, how long can we survive? Again, it's that difficult conversation. A lot of people don't like looking at the finances, don't like thinking about that. It's that sort of, I'll put it off, I'll put it off, I'll put it off. But it's at moments like this where you need to understand the finances. You need to understand what cash you have in the business and what your medium to long term looks like and how long you can be survivable for with the current assets in hand. But Ian, let's just talk a little bit about, you know, there are a lot of people that, are, as we talk about, are, are going to be facing incredibly difficult decisions. There are a lot of lessons that are going to be learned, both currently and in the future as well. With your own career, with everything you've been involved in, the key thing, I guess, is when something hasn't gone according to plan, what is the best lesson you can take out of it and that learning you can take from it? Is there something you're able to share where you can talk a little bit about what didn't quite happen in a broad sense and the lesson you took away from that i think probably the most important thing that i've learned as i've got older i've had these, this lesson really in train is a lot of entrepreneurs a lot of founders of businesses they succeed because of their passion their emotion and they actually drive the business forward because it's not just a job but when you sometimes see the crisis, that passion and that emotion can sometimes cloud the, the good decision making. And it's that ability to be able to switch on and off in terms of when the passion drives it forward, when actually you need to just take a breath, sleep on it, wake up the next morning and be a bit more rational. Let's call it cold if you wish and actually make the right decision because sometimes emotion does get in the way. Yeah. And also in situations like this, you always see knee jerk reactions. You see, I've got to make a decision now, 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 rather than, like you say, take a breath, sit back, look at the data, yeah. plan, think, have a chat with your board, then make the decision. Don't rush and, and into that, something. And that can happen at all levels. Sometimes it happens just with a member of staff. Sometimes it can happen with a disagreement around the board table. Just sit back and think, no, let's take a breath on this one. And Ian, the final question I wanted to ask you about, and I know you're not prepped on this one, so apologies in advance, but as this podcast is aimed at founders, and I hope a lot of them are going to get to the point relatively soon where they're starting to recruit a board member, recruit an NED and things like this, what would your advice be to them when they're looking to recruit someone? It, is, it can be a very difficult situation. You're recruiting someone from outside of you know, non, non-founding teams. What would be your advice? What do they need to be thinking about in a broad sense when they're looking to bring someone on board, onto the board? Okay, two things that I'd say you need. Firstly, don't go for the obvious person, okay? Some people think, oh, I'm in 
uh, furniture retailing, I need a non-executive from furniture retailing to give me that, that backup and that spot. That's the obvious. What I would actually say you're probably getting better is somebody who's not afraid to ask the stupid question. And I, I mean this in a, in, a, in a positive sense, but I often think about all those great financial brains that were sat around all the big financial institutions before the great crash was it, 10, 12 years ago. Hmm. Nobody actually asked, what is a subprime mortgage? Because they didn't want to look stupid. And yet that's what brought us down. So if you have a good non-exec who's sitting there and they will challenge you, they'll ask you a question, which you might think, oh, crikey, that, that's a bit stupid. But actually what it does, it makes you reflect on what you're doing. And that's what it's about. They're there to make you better at your job. And if they ask a question, actually, I don't really know the answer to that, or I can't explain it easily, then I'll, that gives you a great sense of how you can move your business on. Are you doing the right thing? So that's, that's, that's probably the most important thing when you're getting somebody. Somebody's prepared to ask the stupid question or is equally prepared to challenge you in that respect. Ian, that is a fantastic piece of advice. And I know when I took up, I was speaking to you about whether or not I should take up my first NED post on the Scottish Canoe Association. I was saying, well, I've got no experience in canoeing whatsoever. And you said to me, have a chat with the chair and understand why they are interested in you and what role you could play. And he said exactly that. We want someone, he didn't quite say we want someone to come in and ask the stupid questions, but I'm, I'm completely able, completely capable to do that, as you well know. But he said we want someone that is not from the sector, not from the area, that can come in and challenge us on other ways of thinking, because otherwise we become very insular and it becomes very much a talking shop, a, a sort of a, an echo chamber of ideas rather than new ideas coming in. So I can... I wholeheartedly agree with that. It's, it's a great, great piece of advice. And Ian, thank you so much indeed for your time. Alex, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of the GBU podcast presented by Alex Mitchell. 